all of our listeners in Boston can just get at me at Tantiag. Hello, welcome to Hattrick. I'm Jordan Dyler Coltman. I'm joined as always by Braden Dyler Coltman and our good friend Elliot Tanti. Welcome back, boys. We took a week off last week for the long weekend. Um, the no, long it was not. Weekend. It was not because <laughs> we were licking, we <laughs> licking our wounds. Uh, oh. It was a long weekend break. A little time to heal up. We will get to the Edmonton Oilers this week. Uh, we're going to spend two topics on them. Uh, and then a little bit in our third topic, uh, there's some. It's a bit of an Oilers flavor, but um, but it's a bit bigger conversation too. But uh, I guess, boys, like before we get going here, how do you feel? Are we uh, are we over it yet? Oh yeah, it's hockey, man. We care about it, but it's there's a lot bigger issues in this world than than, than NHL hockey. So yeah, you, you, you take a couple days, you lick your wounds, you listen to some post postseason press conferences then you do a show about it and you move on that's how i feel all right then you hit the links just as everybody else is i spent um i I had a tea time today elliot my tea time is at 2 30. i got off the course at 8 30 p.m oh boy so i'm excited i'm here i'm ready but i am tired all right. Well, we will uh, we will spend some time. We do also have a special guest in topic one. We are going to have a conversation that Brayden and I had a little bit earlier today with uh, our friend Ray Strawn from Winnipeg. He very graciously uh, accepted our congratulations on behalf of all Jets fans. Um, he did not rub it in our faces too much, but uh, he definitely was was excited for what's next, and as he should be. So that'll be topic one, and then we'll get to, as I said, our Oilers postmortem, and then we're going to talk a little bit about some fan behavior. Um, just before we do, I do think it's really important that we take a moment to acknowledge uh, something uh, in the news. Um, in Kamloops this week, a really terrible discovery was made Um Sorry, the the Tecumloops, uh, First Nations have been working for almost a decade now to uncover the answer as to where many of their children who were taken from them by the RCMP and the government of Canada and sent to residential schools uh, went because there have been many children who just simply disappeared. Um, the estimated number when this Uh, investigation by the First Nations began was around 50. They believed there was a mass grave of 50 students, 50 children, I should say. So they were able uh, in the last year to secure funds to be able to hire a company to come and do uh, ground penetrating radar. That work was done over the last week or so, and they went public, I believe on Thursday, Wednesday or Thursday last week, with the uh, news that there were not just 50 young children in a mass grave, there were 215. 215 victims of a cultural genocide that was committed in this country. The Kamloops Indian Residential School was opened in 1890 and remained in operation, usually having an annual student body count of around 500 Indigenous children till 1969. And then again, for almost another 10 years, 1978, it finally closed its doors. So for 10 years, it was a day school. It wasn't a full residential school. But the point was the same. 
run by the Catholic Church uh, under the direction of the Canadian government. Um, 215 children, ranging in age from 16 all the way down to as young as three years old, taken from their families, ripped from their families, and sent to a school where they endured unimaginable horrors. And in this case, at least 215 of them laid to their final resting place in a ground on top of other victims of the same crimes and left undeclared and undiscovered. Obviously, um, it's an unimaginable tragedy. It's a disgrace. And it's something that I think needs to be acknowledged. So I would ask that we just take a quick moment of silence. Um, you can do that in whatever way you want, but we just wanted to acknowledge the lives lost, um, recognizing that this is 215 that we know about and that it is only the tip of what is, I'm sure, an absolutely unimaginable iceberg, um, an uncountable number of victims of this, as I said, cultural genocide, and that is what it was. And a part of our history that we have for so long and for too long overlooked and completely ignored. So we wanted to just acknowledge that because every one of these lives uh, deserves that recognition, that these families deserve that recognition for the horror they went through. Um, so I'd ask that you join us in that and then uh, we'll get on with our show. Uh, thank you for that. Um, all right, here's Braden and my conversation with Ray. All right, here here we are. Topic one, as promised. Ray Strawn is here. Uh, well, it wasn't a lot of fun for us Oiler fans. I'm sure it was a lot more fun for you, Ray. We had to spend some time going back over what was at least a very dramatic first round series. Different storylines, mm-hmm. obviously, on both sides of uh, of the ledger. But um, uh, you know we're going to talk more and later in the episode about, you know, kind of post-mortem we'll say of the Oilers, a team that obviously had Winnipeg's number through the regular season, but playoff hockey's different. They all kept trying to tell us that none, none of us were listening. They kept saying playoff hockey's different. And then all of a sudden we got up there and Winnipeg's got three, at least three lines. They can just roll over you constantly. They played some amazing defense. Um, I, I mean, first off, Congratulations. You called it. You you wanted your Winnipeg Jets. You had your Winnipeg Jets. You got the Edmonton Oilers yeah, yeah. and you swept them. So congratulations. All, all uh, do congratulations. How do you feel? How did it feel last week when it was said and dusted? Nice and quick, too. Oh, man. I'm so happy. I'm so happy. Uh, this has been decades in the making for the Jets to finally <laughs> beat the Oilers in the playoff series. This is not just oh, we need revenge for the regular season. This isn't, maybe it's just in Winnipeg, uh, this sentiment. But, you know, every time when we had the good old Smythe division, uh, we'd always either play the the Oilers or the Flames in the playoffs, and that would be the end of it. So this felt really good in regards to that. And, you know, I wasn't expecting a a four-game sweep. I I think I called the Jets in six, but, uh, wow. Uh, Everything I hoped that would happen, uh, Hellebuck on his head, uh, the defense playing better than they are. And those veterans, they, they came to play. Shifley came to play. Wheeler came to play. Uh, Morrissey came to play. So I, I'm just very happy and, and surprised and surprised by how it ended. 
yeah, I mean, it was it was a tight series, and yet you know it never felt like the Oilers really uh, got their feet together. You know what I mean? They, they even in game two, obviously, or pardon me, game three, obviously they had that lead and they blew that, and that's probably one of the most devastating losses as an Oiler fan I've ever suffered through because it happened so fast. But mm. even with a four-one lead, I never felt safe. You know, I felt like I felt I start, I felt confident that they could they were going to win a game, but it didn't even. I still wasn't sure they were going to be able to turn the whole thing around there was something just sort of i don't know it was like a dark cloud came in after that game one where we just couldn't get anything to go and then it just got mm-hmm. uh, scarier and scarier honestly though a lot of fun to watch enjoyable and and I me mean, three overtime games in a row you can't really ask for much more of a series really game one looks more lopsided than it was that was a 2-1 game with two empty netters yeah. goalies on both sides played great we did talk about that a couple weeks ago in our pre our pre-playoff you know, extravaganza. We we both sort of joked about how if one team's goalie could stand on the head, we didn't expect both to. But Winnipeg still had uh-huh. a way to find find a way through Mike Smith. I know Braden. I know you. Uh, you took it pretty hard, um, but you know now you've had yeah. a little bit of time to time to digest. What what? Where are you feeling about all this? Uh, well, I'm still feeling because I have to now wait until next October to start watching my hockey team play again. Yeah, I think I think what was so shocking was was the sweep. The fact that you know they couldn't win a single playoff game, and I want to come down hard on the fact that this all you know people say this always happens to Oilers fans. This always happens to the team. Fact of the matter is, Winnipeg just played a hell of a series, and both both teams had a really really great. Like you just said, the three overtimes. Like that's that's all we could hope for for a really mm-hmm. great. Not all we could hope for, but we had a really great series there. Would have loved to see it get pushed to seven after they were down three in the hole. But uh, you know, uh, yeah, hats off to the Jets. They they they, they played a really really great. Uh, they they capitalized on momentum when it turned. Uh, they scored some really timely goals, like you guys just said. The goalie Connor uh, Helbeck played uh, lights out, and and um, it's it's hard. It's so hard for an Oilers fan because we had such high expectations. You know, I have high expectations every year, but um, you know, when when Connor puts up astronomical numbers like that, you want to see it follow through in the in the postseason, and so. It's it's uh, it's frustrating, and I'm sure that that team's just as frustrated right now, uh, going into the off season with nothing to show. You know, it's interesting. I would say, and, and Ray, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels a little bit like we're we're these two teams though are at slightly different places uh, as far as their core. I mean, Winnipeg has had some playoff runs with this sort of core group yeah. prior to this that mm-hmm. haven't. You know, obviously they haven't won a Stanley Cup, they haven't got all the way, but they've had some you know, a bit more experience in these big games than the Oilers have. I think the Oilers as a team will now, especially their core, will have learned a lot from this series, both the struggles of it, but also, you know, just the experience of being in those tight games, knowing the checking gets tighter, knowing that goaltending is so critical and how timely possessions are. I mean, two of those overtimes are one off of lost face-offs in the defensive zone. That's experience that you can't, you know, you can't buy. So, but the Jets have had that experience. You know, those guys have been through some tough series. So does it feel different this year? Um, I wouldn't say different. I, it feels different after sweeping uh, the Oilers. Not This is not a dig. Uh, it feels different in the sense that it feels almost magical that first round, how it happened. Uh, it could have been any team, whether it have been Montreal or Toronto either. I think we would have had the same feeling of, Oh wow! 
we're surprised by this. And maybe there is a bit of momentum. If they can keep it going, they've gotten some rest now. And it's good to see Montreal and Toronto go to a seventh game, let them beat each other up for another game. You just start really feeling this momentum. So I think there's an excitement above uh, regular playoff excitement that we're starting to feel in Winnipeg now. We're like, oh, okay, well, you know, we're, we're going to face a team that's that's been through seven games right now and we're fresh and we're feeling it yeah. and we played physical. So I, I think it's, a, it, it's a, a cautious confidence that we're building up here in Winnipeg as fans. So have you been watching that series? Yes. Sizing them yes. up. Who do you want? Who do you want? Because <laughs> you called it last time. We asked you before the season yeah. was over. You said you wanted the Oilers and hey, I had that work out. So who do you want? Who do you want? You know, it's it's by roster. We we'd obviously want to see Montreal uh, by wanting to beat someone. You always want to beat the Leafs. You really want to beat the Leafs, especially this team where they loaded them up, uh, ready for a, a win now. So it, it'd be great to to face Montreal in regards to facing odds, but uh, in regards to feeling good, I'd love to play the Leafs and I'd love to beat them. <laughs> I, I would, I would. And it's encouraging because yeah. we were able to put a cap, not all four games, on Dreisaitl and, um, and McDavid. And if we can do that with Marner and Austin Matthews, uh, I think uh, things yeah. could look good. And of course, Hellebuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that, was a, that was one of the biggest frustrations was was just the lack of space given to some of those players you know how much space they need to just just turn the tide and winnipeg did such a good job at just suffocating the space on the ice and i I think either montreal and toronto is going to have a hard time with that yeah, I think the only the only mm-hmm. difference when you look at the Oilers and Mon- or in Toronto is the depth. I mean, Toronto does definitely have yeah. uh, a, a different level of depth than what Edmonton could offer to compete with. But like you said, it, Winnipeg has had enough time now to game out both teams, and really, uh, I think Paul Maurice deserves a lot of credit. He won that coaching yeah. Oh, yeah. sort of matchup, and and I think Dave Tippett will have taken away a lot of lessons um, from that series. But but. Paul Maurice's experience also shone through and he really got the matchup game down. He figured out what he needed from each lineup. It didn't hurt that as the series progressed, guys got healthy and, you know, Ehlers came back and had a huge two gate, two goal Mm -hmm. game there in in, in the turning one. So I think um, it'll be interesting to see which team you get, but like you said, hopefully that rest pays off. So uh, any last, any last thoughts there, Ray, before we let you go? Uh, You know, of course I'm happy as a Jets fan, Fan. I'm also, uh, if I was an Edmonton, I'd be so optimistic uh, right now with Ken Holland and his $20 million under the cap that he's going in with. Like, this is eerily similar to where Eiserman was later on in his run with Holland being able to build a team around him. You know, it didn't happen right away for Eiserman. He was in the league a long time. So yeah, if I was an Oilers fan, you know, <laughs> as an Oilers fan, you know, uh, I'm sorry. We had to, we had to sweep you straight. Uh, out of the playoffs, but uh, the optimism on the uh, in Edmonton must be there. Hopefully, after y'all get over this uh, sweep that the Winnipeg Jets provided for y'all. There you go. All right. Well, we wish you yeah, all the lot, best. There's lots to take away from it. Hopefully, we, we get to hear from you more uh, as the playoffs progress. That's right. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, so yeah, we yeah. we want to wish you well. Uh, you'll know you. after Monday night who you're facing next. I'm sure that uh, you know. Either way, it'll be another exciting series because if it's if it's Toronto, you know you've got the 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 full barrage of all of their firepower. But if it's Montreal, you got to 
fend off Carey Price, who's looking like he's back in form too. So either way, it's going to be an scary. exciting, exciting series, and hopefully the rest has has done um, dividends for that for that Jets team that I know came into the playoffs a little dinged up, but got out of there quick enough to get to the get to the medics table, and they've all iced up and ready to go for another one. I'm sure they're actually probably wishing that you know it, 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 they could be playing right now, but I'm sure that they'll get the jitters yeah. out and the rust off soon. But and the other question is whether or not we'll start to see fans. I don't think we will in Manitoba because you guys no. are having a hard time but i'm but if you play in montreal there's fans in the building and that could be a different uh home ice advantage either way thank you ray we appreciate it as always congratulations as uh well deserved and uh we hope that uh we'll we'll talk to you very soon after you win another round and uh get to represent canada that's the goal i'm hoping that too eh? let's represent western canada first and let's see what we can do there you go thank you ray all right boys thank you this has been a pleasure Are you feeling hungry? Busy Bee Vegan is a plant-based meal prep service offering pre-made, delicious, and healthy plant-based meals to the greater Toronto area. Whether you're curious about plant-based vegan eating, looking to improve your overall health and wellness, or simply too busy to cook, Busy Bee is for you. Their plans are focused on eating clean without sacrificing taste and contributing to a healthy planet. They have made it super simple. Choose and order your meals from the multiple plans they offer, and they will deliver your meals in environmentally friendly compostable containers right to your door. You can find them on Instagram at Busy Bee Vegan Meals or on Facebook at Busy Bee Vegan. Go check out a small local business in Toronto and save the hassle of COVID grocery shopping and cooking. Let the Busy Bees feed you buzz-worthy meals. Okay, topic two. I know we've all been dreading it. It is the end of another Oilers season. I hate to say this, uh, but I was right. Uh, <laughs> as we acknowledged in our playoff preview show, I was correct in one of my bold predictions from the beginning of the year when I said Thatcher Demko would be the definitive number one goaltender for the Canucks. And unfortunately, as much as it pains me to admit, I was right when I suggested that Braden was going to jinx the Oilers. He said they would win the Stanley Cup. What happened, Braden? Where's the parade? I have a lot to say. Uh, whether or not I was the reason it jinxed uh, was left to. Uh, I can't be held responsible for this. Oh no, it is completely your fault, one hundred percent. Jordan and I are both agreement on that. So. All right, I took. I take full responsibility. Then you, both of you, uh, let it be known. Put it on the record. I take full responsibility for the Oilers being swept in four games. The just absolutely horrendous um, flashback to uh, the Ducks taking on a, a comeback win as the Jets did. I take full responsibility you know for my funny? part. Everyone brought that up, and then it was like the, I had completely pushed it out of my brain. I don't. Yeah. I just had such murky memories. Now maybe it was because I had as you a will lot during that one. series, but I just had such a hard time remembering that event which i yeah it is sort of solace that's like as much as this might hurt in the moment it's like i know that i will have completely wiped it from my memory very soon and maybe it'll be gone um let's just do this sort of structurally to help us move through this um let's talk first really quickly as we as we already did with ray just about the series so you know obviously we came up against the oilers came up against a really hot goaltender Connor Hellebuck played like the Vesna trophy winner that he is uh and they were able to roll three almost four lines against the Oilers all with high levels of both defensive um success 
really shutting down any offensive opportunities and especially sort of odd man opportunities. That's what the Oilers really thrived on during the year. They shut all that down for most of the series. Um, few obvious periods in game three being the exception, but they also were able to score from, from a few different places when, you know, the chips were down. This is three overtime games. The series was a lot closer than it felt right, Elliot. So yeah, absolutely. I know you guys have probably gotten into this quite a bit, but yeah, I mean, you, you, it's four, one goal games. Uh, uh, when you take out the empty netters in game one, three of those went to overtime. I, but at the end of the day, look, they lost, <laughs> they lost four games. doesn't really matter how uh, a first round exit was not what we expected. And, and I think, you know, my take on this year, as we look at it holistically is sort of comparing reality to expectations. And so my take is this, I think the Oilers overperformed compared to expectations in the regular season. I think that that was great, but that also led to some much higher expectations heading into the playoffs and i think as much as they exceeded expectations in the playoffs or in the in the regular season um they failed to meet expectations in the playoffs and and that's the summation of the season for me i i i think that a lot of good things happened this year i think it, it the way in which particularly game three went um has really soured a lot of i think what should be really positive reflection on a year that was really good we watched the edmonton Oilers win games uh, throughout the season in a multitude of different ways. They were just as successful at winning 2-1 as they were 6-5. They, you saw uh, amazing growth from some of their younger players like um, Puli Arvi, uh, Darnell Nurse took a major step this year. Uh, obviously, Connor McDavid's remarkable season cannot go unmentioned. And, 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 all, and all well backstopped by a 39-year-old wonder in, in Mike Smith who... who uh, really energized the team and gave it energy and gave it a leadership that I think has been lacking in Edmonton throughout the year. And I think to, to lay all of our uh, feelings or uh, at, at the feet of uh, the four game sweep to, to Winnipeg would be juvenile and not thorough enough and not to suggest that either of you are doing that, but I, I, I do get the sense that we're spending, a, the, the playoffs are causing a little bit of more tumult than is really um, th there should be given what I think was all in all a good season. That being said, I would have liked to have seen at least seven games in the first round if they're going to get kicked out. And I think a reasonable expectation was a round two exit for this team and, and, and they didn't get there. So that, that, that's my summation. Obviously I've had some time to think about it. Uh, the season means nothing. It, I mean, yes, there's a lot to take away from it, but the, what are we cheering for? If not for wins in the playoffs uh, and a Stanley cup. And so, yes, I take full responsibility for my part in jinxing the Oilers this year, but you can be, you can rest assured that I will be making a very similar prediction next year because those are the, those are the expectations I have as a fan. Now they're lofty, <laughs> they're lofty, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I'm proud of the steps that the, the team made in terms of, uh, uh, some of those players taking the next step in their game. I want to see it. I want to see it succeed in the playoffs. That's, that's my expectation. And so, um, so, so I guess it's harder for me to let go of uh, the playoffs that were because, uh, because of what they were able to accomplish in the season. I, I want to, I want to be able to see it carried over. Uh, well, and that's, think... that's the frustrating part for me. 
I think as we said with Ray, a big part of this is also the recognition that as hard as it is to stomach in the moment, you know, every one of these steps is necessary for any team that's found, you know, serious success. There's always been a, a, a few, you know, usually shortly at, shortly before they find the success, there's some struggles. Uh, and in that struggle, the team is able to develop the necessary calluses to survive a series like that. Winnipeg has been through a couple really hard playoff series in the last few years that have prepared them for what they just faced, which was to know that they were coming into a series where all expectations were they were the underdog. They didn't look like the underdog. They came in 100% confident no, in what all. they brought. And that's experience, right? We all joke yeah. about experience all the time. I got really frustrated at the beginning of the playoffs when the freaking TSN and Sportsnet kept saying the Oilers only had one Stanley Cup winner. We had two. Archibald won a Stanley Cup with the Pittsburgh Penguins. Chase on one one with Washington in back-to-back years. It matters that you have experience. Those those are really important lessons. Losing game three, I think, will be a really important uh, thing for those core guys. They will know that and remember that. Not only the next time they play Winnipeg, but the next time they have a lead in a playoff s- series game uh, that they need to close out. That's an important place to have, to have been there. And guess what? It won't be the last time that they have a situation like that. It's going to happen. That's how this is how this works. But I think Elliot's right. I think too, that, you know, you have to take, you have to take uh, the, the whole season as short as it really was in some ways uh, in its, in its totality. It was a great year for the Oilers. Yes. They did. They overperform. Yeah, maybe, maybe they performed exactly where they were supposed to be. That's hard to say, right? Make it 82 games and we find out if it's a different team. Um, But I will say I never felt confident going into any one of those playoff games the way I did, I don't know, in 2016 or 17, whatever it was in a different way, because I don't know what this team is. I can't, I couldn't figure it out. I know we didn't have depth. I was impressed with some of the depth guys. Jujar played well. I thought uh, Devin, Devin Shore, Shore actually played Man. really well and some guys that didn't necessarily have great seasons that those guys, they, they played well. So that shows you that the playoffs are a different thing. And sometimes things happen. We're going to save our, like oh. what is to come conversation for a little bit down the road. Cause we'll have some time to do that. But just in, in closing with this topic, um, what are your what would be your your final takeaways there, Elliot? Well, I just need to say I need to make an amendment to amendment. It turned out Tanti Poling was right. The Edmonton Oilers did do nothing at the deadline because Dmitry <laughs> Kulikov in Game Four, where everything's on the line, didn't even play. And I will stand by the fact that the Edmonton Oilers did nothing at this trade deadline, just as I said they would uh, back in that episode. And I need that on the record. Can we do, let's dig in on one more thing. Real quick. I know we're over time, but here's a thought just because that's part of it. We did see some interesting coaching decisions about personnel. We saw obviously Russell came in in the last game and he actually played really well. I thought he was a really important piece of that overtime, but let's just talk about that. We've had three overtime games in a row, different strategies sort of imposed in each one. To be fair, the first two were both goals scored off of lost faceoffs in the defensive zone. Something we did talk about at the trade deadline as being a weakness for the Oilers. They didn't go out and get Glenn Denning. They didn't go out and make that center position better. You, they just sort of hoped that the guys they had would somehow improve their percentage, and they just didn't. But coaching-wise, I mean, why are you not calling? Here's, here's what I would say. Why are you not calling a timeout after the third goal in game three? 
Why is there no timeout called? The reason Tippett gives in the post game is, well, we were a minute away from a TV timeout. Yep, they scored in that minute. Now you're tied. So that's a, that's for me a coaching missed opportunity to, to actually have some control of of something. Just calm your guys down and say, what the fuck, guys? Let's 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 just play defense like we have all year long. The Oilers were the second best team in the entire league when it came to games they were leading going into the third period. That is not how they played the rest of the year. And then the other one is in game four, when you have your triple overtime, I understand that he benched the Ethan bear Slater cuckoo defensive pair after giving up the tying goal. I understood that for the first overtime going with just the four guys, but I'm sorry, at some point you got to start to roll your lines. At some point you got to put everybody out there in a game that's going that long and just see who wants to be the hero. You got to have all, all six. Again, I said this earlier, Darnell nurse playing, as much as he did in game four is incredible. It's amazing. Especially now, you know, that he was doing this all while knowing that his wife or his pardon me, his partner, his fiance was in labor. So all of that going on in the background, Darnell nurse puts in a career high game uh, minutes played. Unbelievable. Second, only all time to Seth Jones who did one last year, but why was it necessary? You had two yeah. extra bodies there and then you put them out there for the penalty kill in the third overtime. Yeah. You get the penalty kill, but it's, it's those guys going off the ice that causes the odd man rush. Well, it's not yeah, coaching it's not for me. Coaching for me has been some a, question there were marks a lot too. of different bounces that went I'm in, in the other yeah. way. <laughs> I mean, I think the coaching conversation is an interesting one. I think Tip has been an excellent regular season coach as he knew he was. And imagine that the others overperformed in the regular season. Tippett has not had the same kind of success as a coach in the playoffs. And this is now two series where he has been the, the second best of two coaches in the series and really small, minute decisions. I mean, this is a tough year to be coaching. You got a taxi squad. You're trying to keep people fresh. The Edmonton others, I never, ever got the sense had like a solidified four lines going into the playoffs like they did in previous years. He was never really, we haven't really been able to get that, that mix right, whether it's Dreisaitl, Nuge, and, and, and Yamamoto, or McDavid and Dreisaitl should be playing together. I mean, I, I, the other thing, but I would say, and this goes back to the conversation around why I was right, that the Oilers didn't do anything at the deadline. There wasn't much to be done at the deadline. The Oilers carried the, the lineup that they had at the beginning of the year, and there's still some clear gaps in it. And that... The playoffs are emblematic of if there's if the players are going to show your weakness and where was the weakness third and fourth line depth scoring so and a solidified you know depth on d and and that's what was exposed in the playoffs. the the, the jets were able their coach recognized that and they yeah. they produced a game that that capitalized on one of their few strengths that and goaltending and and that was the difference in the series it's hard to lay that at the feet of tippet Next year is a different animal. They got $25 million or whatever in cap space. You know, for the first time since he's been here, Holland can really, really, really do what he wants with this lineup in some meaningful ways. And there's some difficult questions around that too. But, you know, again, they didn't do anything at the deadline. Other teams did. And that's the difference. But DeHarnay, 2017, you want to talk about face-offs? DeHarnay, not only does he improve them to know there's face-offs, he wins – a game for the Oilers in round one in overtime. We needed a DeHarnay goal in one of these three overtimes. We didn't get it. Well, when you don't do anything at the deadline, that's what happens. 
All right. Well, we are way over time. And as I said, we will get to the, the what happens next conversation. It will be a fun one. Uh, we'll leave it there. Hopefully for they re-sign Kulikov. <laughs> That's topic two. Spring in full bloom, it's gardening season. For 18 years, Zocalo has been providing Edmonton with plants, gifts, and flowers. This local flower boutique is located right in the heart of Edmonton's Little Italy. With a wide array of flowers, plants, and gift options, they provide delivery and curbside pickup. Check out Zocalo online at zocalo.ca or call them at 780-428-0754. Okay, topic three this week. Um, well, you know, there's a there's sort of a couple parts to this, but let's start it off this way. After the Oilers were eliminated, um, obviously emotions are high in the playoffs, but unfortunately for some uh uh, uh, you know, supposed Edmonton fans. Some people took to social media, and uh, Ethan Bear was the victim of some racist comments online on his social media platforms, uh, Twitter, uh, Instagram, just horrible, uh, horrible things said to to Ethan Bear. Um, obviously, this behavior is completely disgusting and despicable. Um, but unfortunately, more and more common, we're seeing a lot of athletes being subjected to all kinds of uh, things online. And it's interesting because obviously we're, you know, we talked several times already on this show just about how we're in sort of this period of time where people seem to be trying in in, in many ways to uh, bring to light, you know, conversations about racism, conversations about systemic racism, conversations about um, bullying and all of these things. And yet it seems like it's more prevalent than it's ever been. Uh, Ethan Bear, obviously a, um, a member of the um, Ochapowis First Nations Cree. Uh, he had the wonderful opportunity. Uh, I don't know if it was, was it this year or last, last season during the preseason, the, the Oilers uh, invited him to, to wear his name in Cree on his jersey, which was an awesome uh, opportunity for him to, 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 to share, share his uh, culture. But it's also, again, just one tiny step forward, and we take we constantly find like we're taking multiple steps backwards. So I don't I don't know um, where to really begin with this, but it feels like this is just a conversation about why does this seem like it 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 just keeps happening here, and and what is what are the steps that need to happen moving forward with it? I guess, um, Braden, what were your thoughts on this when you heard about this uh, this behavior? Uh, it's disgusting. It's disgusting, and it's cowardice. Um... You know, I think the the fact that the um, that these players, you know, it's like had they won that game, would they be subject to something that disgraceful? And and you know, and just the fact that it's happening, regardless, uh, you know, it's it's important that the people that did stand up against it on that platform did, um, you know, and we saw statements from the the organization, the league, and the the you know, Ethan Bear himself saying that uh, denouncing this behavior and, and, you know, making another stand. I, I don't want to, I don't want to keep seeing people having to make a stand against this. I want, I, I, I want to be able to see that this, that this league, the society, the, the, the people, I mean, in these interactions, just that, that, that it, that it doesn't, that these people aren't subject to that kind of, uh, that kind of hatred, that kind of, it's it's just it's just repulsive. It's absolutely repulsive. It makes me really um, makes me really sad. You know, I'm. It, you said it was online that, that this happened, and and now we're starting to see it in other in other uh, you know play. Uh, sorry, crowds are starting to come back to games. We're starting to see it in the NBA here with 
you know, uh, Russell Westbrook had popcorn thrown at him. Trey Young was spat on in a global pandemic. Kyrie Irving got a water bottle thrown at him tonight. Like there's, it's just, it's, it's getting really out of control, really out of hand here uh, with, with, with that kind of just, just awful behavior. It's, uh, it's absolutely uncalled for. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you're right. There, there, there is some connection there with how the fan behavior seems to be, um, be part of it. Uh, Elliot. Well, yeah, let's put this in perspective here. In the same episode that we opened up with Jordan acknowledging, you know, uh, uh, proof of the uh, uh, cultural genocide that exists in this company, we have we have an indigenous hockey player, of which there are far too few given this country's history and its prevalence for hockey, um, you know, being subjected to, you know, racial slurs because of a, a, a poor clearing attempt in a hockey game. Um, so, so let's just, let's just start there in terms of calling the spade a spade. It's unacceptable in relation to Ethan Barron. And uh, I was very proud of the NHL's response. I was proud of the Oilers' response. Obviously, it was very brave of Ethan Barron to address it directly. And I thought that was important. And the subsequent rally in Edmonton, you know, you have to acknowledge those people that came out and said, like, we don't stand for this. and This is unacceptable. Let's acknowledge the good in this too. But the problem with this, I find, is too often in hockey, and I think it's probably in all sports, but I pay attention to hockey, is that it ultimately criticism of players, people, behaviors gets whittled down to this, like the lowest common denominator thing. And so Ethan Bear's indigenous, we're going to say something about his indigenous heritage in response to that play. You can only imagine what countless things Darnell Nurse has experienced in his life, being, being a man of color in this country. And in addition, like in 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 the realm of social media, you know, Taylor Hall and attitude. There's there's a it always seems to come down to just like the worst behavior, and that's somehow acceptable. Um, but let me be clear here: my position is that the NHL, NHL media types have allowed for this behavior to exist for a long time. The What happens at the end of every game? There's two congruent talk shows that exist at the same time in Edmonton after every Oilers game in which fans can just basically call in and bitch rant. and say really, and rant and say awful things. And and, and the, the prevalence of social media and the proclivity of social media now has just allowed people to take that to a, a degree further and to tag the player that they're talking about in it so that the player potentially could see it. It's unacceptable. Someone need, we need to be calling it out. The leagues need to be taking a, 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 a more of a stand against it in terms of behavior. I think these social media platforms need to be having a good hard think about what's acceptable behavior and, and conversations online and and I think, you know, folks like us need to be really cautious about what we say and how we talk. And I think we do do a good job, but there's lots of podcasts like this that do not. And, and I think that, you know, that, that, that breeds a, a culture of real negativity and awfulness that's just unacceptable. And, it, and, and, it's, and it's buffoonery. It's always the lowest common denominator with these things and and it's not criticism and most people that talk about sports don't know enough to talk about it anyway i i i just I, for me i just find it uh, it's appalling and more needs to be done yeah i think obviously you know Braden brings up the i mean, I mean every one of those instances Braden brings up is an act of violence i mean those players were assaulted by a person in the in the stands throwing something at them whether you you know i, I think it was uh russell westbrook who said you know you throw a 
would you throw a bucket of popcorn at me on the street? Um, Cause the truth is that people wouldn't be doing that kind of behavior, but you're right. There's sort of this, um, you know what? It, it, I don't, I'm not going to say it's this simple, but it's sort of this weird thing. It feels like there's this weird thing where it's almost like we've lived this past year uh, somewhat isolated from other people in certain situations and certainly away from large crowds. And many people have taken that time and they've their only real interaction with other fans or with their sports is online. And it's like, we've completely forgotten how to behave in public situations. You know, these fans who might hurl, you know, uh, insults or complaints or rants or whatever you say, you know, from a message board, uh, all of a sudden are back in a stadium and they they think that this behavior is okay. And it's completely inappropriate. Um, obviously with the Ethan Bear one, I mean, last year uh, when the bubble began, I don't know if you guys remember this, there was a, you know, pre-bubble um, press conference, all the players had different opportunities to speak to the media over, over Zoom or whatever. And it was sort of following, you know, the weeks of protest about um, George Floyd's murder and the beginning of um, that whole summer of, of activism. And, you know, the Oilers players were asked about it because they knew that there was going to be potentially players kneeling and we saw Matt Dumba do that and different protests from different sports leagues, obviously led by the NBA originally, but the players were asked and obviously as the media will do, you know, the questions were asked to the members of the Oilers of color, uh, um, uh, you know, whether it's Jujar and, and Darnell nurse and, and in, in this case, Ethan bear was asked and it was an interesting response by Ethan bear. And I actually went back. I wanted to go see if I could find the clip on YouTube and I did, um, you can go back and watch it there, but he was asked, um, two t twice in the, in the press conference about experiences of racism, um, growing up. And he admitted that, yeah, there's always been some guys who, you know, they might say something, but usually if they were players, you know, you could call them out for it and they would be willing to sort of, you know, apologize that he never had experienced. He never felt like he'd experienced anything on the ice or anything that was, you know, really heinous but he also acknowledged that he didn't really feel like it was really his place to say anything about racism or if he wasn't really comfortable standing up for um a social issue because he was a really young player and his job should be focusing on uh you know making the team and all of that and i listened to that even then i listened to it and i thought to myself this feels wrong that a player even at that stage in his career should even for a moment be afraid to speak his mind because he's been put in, in, in a situation where there is such a systemic um, hierarchy to the organization that his voice is not, uh, he, he doesn't feel empowered enough to have a voice in that space, even though he is by his very existence um, entitled to that opinion and that space to, to express himself. And I felt really disappointed in that. And I remember having conversations with people about it and sort of saying like, I wish he knew that as a fan of that team, I I want him to have that platform. I would want to support him in having that platform. And I hope that yeah. um, I hope that he feels that now. I, I would also say just Elliot mentioned there are some silver linings to it, I suppose. You did see a, a big rally in Edmonton about following it. But there also has been apparently um, the largest uptick in um, uh, donations and fundraising for two of Canada's largest uh, indigenous sports organizations. Uh, the one run by Becky Scott, um, 
with with the Canadian Olympic Committee has found they they they've had a huge swell in fundraising, and um, many of the people donating have said that it was because of this this story that they they felt like they wanted to support uh, Indigenous youth in sport, which is amazing. And I hope that that's the kind of uh, response people have. Obviously, the social media part we saw all the players come to his defense, and many people with the hashtag I stand with Ethan Bear, but. It's unfortunate that it takes these kind of events for that to happen. And I would hope that we all can continue to try to encourage the people around us who are um, are not as engaged in these topics to have those conversations. You know, there's there's a great line, and I actually can't tell you who it's, who it's from, but it, there's a great line I like to remind myself of, which is that the woke need to remember to leave space for those still waking. And that's the truth. We can't stop the conversation because, as Braden said, I'm just tired of having to deal with this that's the truth we should be we should be tired of this uh, the the truth is though for many of us it's it's a new thing that we should we're we're just a part of right. now and we're we're becoming more and more aware of but we can't stop until we don't see these problems anymore um and obviously they're very different the ones of people throwing bottles and things is a different situation than racism let's not let's not con- conflate those two together but, yeah. but still at the behavior. same time you know something Kyrie <laughs> did mention in that interview after was that you know that there is an underlying racism in some of these That's these right. actions that are taking place right. and then there's there is zero room for it and even the fact that you like you said with Ethan Bear that he didn't feel like he was able to stand into his voice as at a young age I mean that he just the sad fact that he even has to at that age um, That's true is, yeah. is just awful it's, it's it's awful and it needs to change and hopefully this conversation continue to I, I, I will uh, say too to we should just that. tag tag there the, the gentleman who threw the bottle at Kyrie was arrested tonight in Boston so there is at least some positivity yeah. moving from one night to the other because obviously the guy with the popcorn a couple nights ago uh, we don't know whether he was even kicked out of the building but at least the NBA <laughs> as an organization has made it very clear that any player who is assaulted by any of these fans has the opportunity to press charges and they have. So that's good news. Well, imagine that it was in Boston. You know, the last thing I'd say on that is like, for me, I, I, I feel like, you know, Ethan bears a role model to lots of indigenous kids, lots of indigenous people out there. I, I, you know, I work in an organization that walks side alongside lots of indigenous folks. Ethan Bear is a known name, known commodity and means a lot to people. And, and, and I think, this symbolism that someone of this power, of this wealth, in this position, like Ethan Bear, can still experience racism, you know, only provides an, an almost an underlying understanding that it's okay for them to feel experience racism too. That, that our society just accepts it, uh, and and the same goes for you know the conversations in the NBA. Um, and so, like, if we're not stopping it at this level, then what the hell are we doing? We're not doing enough. And I think that, that, you know, these are, these are role models for these folks and need to be supported as such. All right. Well, um, I guess the conversation continues. That's what's really important about it. Um, thanks both for, uh, you know, another great show. We won't take another week off until the next long weekend, Braden. Don't worry. And, until the uh, next Oilers loss. Uh, it could be like. just as long. Um, but uh, 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 after all of that, we'll we'll leave it there for now. Uh, thank you, Elliot. Thank you, Braden. That was Hattrick. Hattrick is a member of the Ordinary Podcasting Network. It's produced every week by Jordan Dyler-Coltman and Braden Dyler-Coltman. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Thanks for listening.